I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. A lot of times intuitively as a parent, we think if I can just not have my child triggered, then they're going to be okay. If I can have my child with sensory motor OCD, just go to the bathroom whenever she feels like it or or guarantee her that there's a bathroom, it will go away. Or if I can tell my child, you're not a bad kid, you know, you didn't say the F word, don't worry about it, that it will just go away. And, and sadly, the more we intuitively just reassure our kids, or we accommodate them by giving them access to whatever they need to do for their compulsion, the OCD grows. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. Many members of the Tilt community requested that I bring child anxiety and OCD therapist Natasha Daniels onto the show, so I'm excited to be sharing this episode with you. Natasha is mom to three kids with anxiety and OCD, the author of Anxiety Sucks, a Teen Survival Guide. How to Parent Your Anxious Toddler, Social Skills Activities for Kids, and It's Brave to Be Kind. She's also the creator of ATParentingSurvival.com, the YouTube channel Ask the Therapist, and the host of the AT Parenting Survival podcast. Natasha has been featured in the Huffington Post, Scary Mama, Psych Central, the Child Mind Institute, and The Mighty. So in this conversation, we look at OCD and anxiety, how they're similar, how they're different the common and not so recognized ways OCD shows up and why it's sometimes misdiagnosed, what OCD and anxiety might look like in younger kids, and best practices for supporting kids with anxiety or OCD. I really love this episode because I was that parent who completely missed the fact that my own child was struggling with anxiety because I had a totally different idea of what it actually looked like. As you'll hear Natasha explain, My experience was not unusual, so I hope that this episode is helpful in broadening our definitions of anxiety and OCD and maybe even connect some dots for listeners. All right, here is my conversation with Natasha. Natasha. 
Hey, Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, you are a requested guest, by the way. You were already on my list of people that I needed to have on the show. And then I got a couple emails even in the past couple months, maybe because anxiety is, I imagine, skyrocketing right now. But people really wanted to hear from you. So I'm excited to be having you on the show. Well, well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, you've got fans out there. So can you tell me a little bit about just your work in the world? I've already read your bio, but talk more just about your sweet spot and your why for doing the work that you do. Sure. So I am an anxiety and OCD child therapist, and I did have a private practice, which I recently closed, and provide online resources for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD of all ages. And I do have three kids with anxiety and OCD, so I you know, kind of eat, live, and breathe it. And I grew up with anxiety myself. But ironically, I went into this before I had my first child, so it happened kind of backwards. A lot of people think I got into this because of my kids, but actually... It was just the universe laughing at me. So my why is like my, actually my dad was severely mentally ill. And so I went into my graduate program thinking I was going to help adults. And they kept putting me accidentally in kid programs. And then I fell in love with kids. So that was kind of the, the beginning. So I have to ask you a question then. I, before I started Tilt, I used to write books for teens, self-help empowerment books for teens. And so I kind of assumed that I'd really know what I was doing by the time I got to parenting a teenager. I'm just wondering, you started this before you had kids. Did you feel really prepared to handle whatever came up? And has that bared out? (laughs) No, is the the short answer, (laughs) which I think is probably for all of us. Like it's, it's one thing to know what to do. And it's another thing to like be living it and being a parent and having those parental emotions. And sometimes that actually, I think makes it even harder because like intellectually, I know what to do, but then to carry it out because it's that parent role is really tricky. Yeah. I remember the first time I shared one of my teen books with my teenager and it's kind of like, that's really nice, mom. Thanks. You know, there was no like, yeah, this really resonates. I'm like, I've gotten letters from teens before, but didn't, did not connect um, with my own in the same way. (laughs) I had had the same conversation with my 18 year old recently when she was having an anxiety attack and I was telling her how to get through it. And she's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. (laughs) Well, it works for a lot of other people, but you know, there are kids. And so that's the difference. Yeah, exactly. So you have this dual focus, and it's probably even more than that. But I know you you mentioned OCD and anxiety. And if you're okay with it, I'd love to spend a little time talking about each of those. I have done really only one episode on OCD in the past. And it was with Chris Bayer, who had done a documentary about OCD. And his work is great. His film was great. And I love how empowering it was for kids to kind of speak to their experience and see their experience reflected on the screen. But as a way to get into that conversation, could you kind of beyond the what the acronym stands for, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, could you tell us really what OCD is, like how you describe it to people? Yeah, I think that's the, the saddest part is that most people don't understand what OCD is. And I'm sure Chris did a really good job in his episode explaining it, but it's really in a nutshell, having an intrusive thought feeling or image that gets stuck in your head and then the need to do something or avoid something to get brief relief. And the more you do that thing, the more those intrusive thoughts or feelings grow. 
So it's a vicious loop. And I think the reason why people don't understand OCD is because that framework can have many, many different looks and different themes that are like vastly different. And so OCD can wear many, many hats. And most of us think it only wears one hat where it's like a germ hat or a neurotic hat. And that's just not the case. Can you give us an example of of a way it might look that we might not expect? Because yeah, you're right. We think about those repetitive patterns or being worried about germs, which I, again, I'm thinking in COVID, it might've been really tricky for people with OCD, but what are some other ways that it shows up that we may not recognize? Well, pick some less known ones like moral OCD or scrupulosity OCD. You can have an intrusive thought that I'm a bad person or um, I'm going to, so the, the core fear could be like, I'm going to go to hell or if they're not religious, it could be um, nobody's going to love me. I'm going to wind up alone. And the compulsion might be, and these are just really general. It can show up differently for other, you know, for each person, but the compulsion might be, I need to avoid, you know, bad people or bad people are contaminated, or I need to avoid cuss words. And then even the beginning of cuss words. So maybe, I don't want to say the S word, but then I want to say like shiitake, like, I don't know if that's a mushroom, but you know, like, so I don't want to say any word that even sounds like a bad word, or maybe I want to hold my hands and fists just in case I want to give you the middle finger. So people would can often miss that because that is not a known OCD theme or symmetry OCD where I need to balance out my left for my right. And so I pick up my cup with my left, but now my right hand needs to touch it, which people, you know, wouldn't even notice unless they're really observant and they understand symmetry OCD. Or I'll give you one last one just so that people can realize how vastly different these can be is sensory motor OCD, where I'm hyper-focused on a physiological aspect of my body, whether it's blinking or breathing or having to go to the bathroom. And so that can show up compulsively where maybe I need to pee like 50 times an hour, um, or I can't get off the toilet, or maybe I have to blink multiple times, or I have to check my breathing and take a deep breath every few minutes. And so those are all OCD, but you know, you can see like vastly different looking. Yeah. And all new information to me. I'm wondering, are there misdiagnoses along the way? Because, you know, I imagine sensory processing disorder, or, you know, other types of labels might be something that a parent or a therapist might go to first if they're seeing some of these symptoms. Is that the case? Or what is that path like to actually determine that this is what's going on? It is really sad because there are a lot of misdiagnoses. And also there's a lot of comorbid diagnoses. So you have, you know, ADHD, autism, you know, sensory processing disorder, you know, all of those are comorbid conditions, but also they can they can be misdiagnosed. And so I I try to be careful because sometimes it's not one or the other, it's both. But if I have a child who has intrusive thoughts nonstop and you gave me an ADHD like checklist, I'm going to probably check every box because I am not attending. I'm not engaged. I can't take like multiple step directions, but the the reason is different Um, or sensory processing disorder and just right OCD, which there are two different disorders, but they Sometimes they like to hang out together, but also they're very different. And so just right OCD is I need to get things just right. And so my part needs to be just right, or my socks need to feel just right, or I need to feel, you know, tightness on my left and tightness on my right, which is more like a symmetry OCD. And sometimes it's both issues, but often it's just OCD. And you have a clinician who's not experienced in spotting OCD and 
we're more likely to understand ADHD or, you know, autism or SPD. And so it'll get missed. So is it a spectrum then? Because I think about, and you probably hear this all the time, and it's so common in media, like, oh, I'm a little OCD, or, you know, this is just my OCD. And those are people who aren't clinically diagnosed with OCD. So I imagine that that makes it more complicated for people to know if this is like, this is really what's going on. And is it a spectrum? Can it look, be more severe in some people than in others? Yes, definitely a spectrum. Like every disorder I think is, you can have a mild version and you can have, you know, an acute case. The problem with OCD is it can grow pretty quickly and it can be incredibly debilitating more debilitating than any other mental health disorder, probably besides schizophrenia. And so I always say a little bit of OCD is like a little bit of termites. It's, you know, if my child had a little bit of anxiety, which they all do and not a little bit, I wouldn't get as ramped up and concerned as I would if I saw a little bit of OCD, you know, where I'd want them to really develop those skills, even if it was mild, because it can, it can change over time. And people who say, I have a little bit, I have, I'm a little OCD. If someone talks like that, they typically don't have OCD. Um, what they mean is they're a little bit neurotic or they're a little bit like a clean freak, whatever the you know, stereotype is. But most people who truly struggle and suffer from OCD don't talk about it in those ways, or at least if they're educated. Is there an age when this tends to show up in people, in kids? And I'm also wondering just how not talking about like data or statistics, but how common is it in kids? I think that, I think the statistics are off and that's why I don't like statistics because I really feel like it's so misdiagnosed that it it's only because statistically they'll say, you know, it's more like tween and teen, you know, or, you know, 12 and older, but in my practice, which really specialized in, in younger kids, or at least that's what people gravitated towards me. You know, like I just got a lot of young kids, I would see it very early on. I could see it in toddlers and preschoolers and parents as they get more educated, they'll spot it more, um, more proactively. So a lot of people in my online community, they have toddlers and preschoolers because they know what to look for. And so those kids were getting, I think, missed in the data pool to begin with. And sometimes it, you know, it's something else and it evolves, but I think it can start at any age and it can start randomly at 15 you know, and that also surprises parents because they think they're looking for the trauma or they're looking for the trigger or what instigated this because they were perfectly fine before. And there can be sudden onset, whether it's due to an infection like pandas pans or just because genetically OCD can just kind of show up one day. And that can be really scary for everybody. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. 
They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people in our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. So you talked about people knowing how to spot it. I imagine, you know, you said it's kind of sudden onset or with an older teen, it might be more noticeable, a behavior change. But what are some of the signs that especially with maybe preschool age kids or younger kids, that might be clues that this is what's going on. Some early indicators that you might have an an issue, you know, that you kind of want to explore is that repetitive behavior. And again, it can check off other boxes too. And that's why it gets tricky. But if I have a child who maybe isn't on the spectrum and they need me to kiss one side of their cheek and then the other side of the cheek at bedtime, then I have to straighten out their bed and if I don't do it in that way, in that exact way, there's a meltdown and not a minor meltdown, but like a complete meltdown. Those are the things I'm looking for when they're little or they're inspecting their food and they can't, and they don't have maybe a sensory issue or picky eating, or they're asking me a lot of questions that they need reassurance about. And sometimes you'll get some maybe like more irrational thoughts. Like I can't take, oh, I'm thinking of examples from my practice. Like I can't get into a bath because I don't want the wrinkles on my fingers. And so, and then I have to check my fingers all day long to see if I have those wrinkles still. So that's beyond anxiety. That's beyond sensory, um, compulsively checking. Um, I think that's, that's a good example, you know, looking at those kind of maybe nonsensical or loop behaviors where they're getting stuck or they have to go through a door and they have to go back and they have to do it again and they have to do it again. So that was repetitive behaviors as well. The thing with anxiety, it tends to be more rational most of the time, but not always, but also like it can be satiated briefly, at least, you know, mom, is that dog going to bite me? You know, no, honey, you're okay. And then 
dogs are scary, but that's it. But then you might have someone with beginning stages of OCD and it's mom, is that dog going to bite me? No, honey, it's okay. And then it's maybe later on, did mom, did that dog bite me? Can you check me for bike marks? Did that dog bite me? Is that a bite mark? Is that a bite mark? So now we're moving into almost kind of like an irrational checking. And so it is hard to detect, but early on, regardless of what it is, it's always good to be proactive and get them some skills. Yeah. And as you're, we're giving that example, I'm thinking too, a lot of kids, especially kids who are more intense, autistic kids, they can often perseverate on things and just ruminate around these thoughts. And you talked about the thought component of OCD. If a parent is noticing that maybe that example you just gave about the dog and coming back to that and talking about it, and that parent says, I want to explore this some more you know, where are they starting to get information? And how is that determination made if that's, quote unquote, just their being autistic, or if it's something else going on? Well, when we when we add other disorders, especially like this, you know, autistic spectrum, it gets very complicated. And normally with the kids that have come to me in my practice, and I'm, I'm not a specialist in autism. But when they have those rigid behaviors, they have other things going on too that alert me as an anxiety and OCD therapist that this is out of my realm as well. You know, there, there's other aspects of autism that are showing up that I would say you need to go and get an autism assessment first. And if you're seeing other elements of autism, I always say start with an autistic specialist, get an assessment, go that avenue first, because they are so embedded with each other. And a lot of times it can look like anxiety or OCD when it's just rigid behavior that will be addressed a bit differently. But the kids, like the examples that I gave, you know, they're sociable and they didn't have autistic traits, weren't diagnosed with autism. Sometimes they'll rule it out. But at that point, it's always good to go to an OCD therapist and they're hard to find, but you can go to an OCD therapist and rule out OCD much easier than you can go to a general child therapist and rule out OCD and all the other disorders. So it's easy to just, it's easier said than done, but to, to rule that out first and then go to the next step versus the other way around, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about then the relationship between OCD and anxiety, because they're often coupled together. You do that in your work. We've had Ellie uh, Leibowitz on the show to talk about his book, and which is about OCD and anxiety in the subtitle. So how are they related and how are they not the same thing? Yeah, we relate them because they are such comorbid conditions. And, you know, OCD used to be an anxiety disorder. And now it's not. It's kind of been removed from the DSM in that way. But they are similar in that there's an intrusive thought or feeling or a discomfort, you know. And so a lot of times with anxiety, it's it's fear-based. And OCD goes beyond that, where it can be, I'm afraid of discomfort. I'm afraid of having this feeling forever. And then how it's treated is also different in the sense that we don't talk to OCD. So I feel like this is the predominant difference is that we don't process with OCD. I can't rationalize my child's OCD out of them. And with anxiety, I can rationalize with them to the point where they feel better. And so that that's the number one difference. They are different disorders completely. They're different parts of the brain. You know, they, they are vastly different, I think. They do get lumped together too much. And I think part of the reason why a lot of us do anxiety and OCD work is not only because they kind of like to hang out together, but also because so many people who have anxiety 
actually are dealing with a lot of OCD too, and they don't realize it. And Ellie Leibowitz's book, which is amazing, you know, he's talking about pulling back parental accommodations. And so for him, his work is relevant regardless of whether it's anxiety or OCD, because it's just about pulling back that parental accommodations, which is the case with both of those disorders. All right. That makes sense. So before we kind of shift gears fully into talking about anxiety, because that is something that, you know, whether listeners are dealing with OCD, anxiety is most likely a part of their experience with their kids. Can you just talk a little bit about the ways that you would work with a child who has OCD? You said that that was a great distinction. You can't rationalize with OCD. So what are the kind of steps or the key tools that a parent or therapist would use in helping a child with OCD? Uh, With OCD and anxiety, educating the child to me is like the number one thing. So educating the child on how anxiety or OCD grows. The difference with OCD, well, we'll just talk about OCD and not that we won't compare them. It'll just be too complicated. But um, we want to expose our kids to their discomfort, like one small step at a time. So we talk about exposure with response prevention, ERP, which is a type of cognitive behavioral therapy. And we think a lot of times intuitively as a parent, we think if I can just not have my child triggered, then they're going to be okay. If I can have my child with sensory motor OCD, just go to the bathroom whenever she feels like it or, or guarantee her that there's a bathroom, it will go away. Or if I can tell my child, you're not a bad kid, you know, you didn't say the F word, don't worry about it, that it will just go away. And and sadly, the more we intuitively just reassure our kids or we accommodate them by giving them access to whatever they need to do for their compulsion, the OCD grows. And so instead of kind of swooping in and fixing that or teaching them that they need to swoop in and fix it, go wash your hands, go organize the pillows, go do whatever you need to do to feel better, we teach them not to do that and to sit in discomfort. And I'll give you a quick example just to make it concrete. And I use my kids a lot and they give me permission. So my son who has all my kids having, well, my teen doesn't have OCD according to her and she doesn't like, not, not intensely, but my son gets images stuck in his head and he gets songs stuck in his head. And for me, that happens to me too, but I just sing along with them and it'll be like annoying to everybody else, but then it goes away after a few weeks and then a new song is replaced. For him, it's torment because it's an OCD thing the song gets stuck in his head and it plays over and over and he believes he can't handle the discomfort. And so we were in the airport, we're just traveling and he's like getting angry and he's 12 and getting really irritated and kind of throwing his bag around. And I, you know, I heard a song and I can't get out of my head and mom is still there. And he's like kind of tearing up. And I, you know, my approach is okay for every minute, I would just want you to start singing it more in your head. So totally counterintuitive because we would think when we might just discount it and just be like, you know, we all get songs stuck in our head. Or he might just say, try to think of something else. Well, that would be a mental compulsion for him to try to like negate it or cancel it out. And so he started to sing it in his head. And I'd say, sing it again, you know, and then every, we're walking in security in the airport. And I'm like, sing it again. And then, you know, about 30 minutes later, I go, how's it going? Do you still have the song stuck in your head? And again, that's another thing parents wouldn't necessarily do because they wouldn't want to bring it up and start it all over. But we don't want to be walking on eggshells. So I said, how's the song now? And he said, oh, it's fine. And he like moved past it. So that's an example of an exposure, totally counterintuitive. And does that then help the next time that happens? Like do kids outgrow OCD or do they just understand how to cope with their OCD? It's like asthma or diabetes, like you learn how to manage it. And so it's skills, like he's, he's very well-trained in exposures. And so my kids will do that for themselves when they feel like it. 
And so once you teach your kids how to do these things and you kind of develop the foundation of how to treat this for themselves, they they will do that on their own because OCD will come and go. And so they're going to hit bumps as they get older and then knowing to go back to doing those exposures and just the foundational aspect of it, it can be for any intrusive thought or feeling. And so once they know that skill, then they know it for anything that comes, hopefully, ideally. And is there, I, I have no idea if this exists, is there medication that supports people with OCD and helps minimize their symptoms? They give SSRIs for OCD just like they do for anxiety. It's just that the International OCD Foundation pediatric recommendations, like their medications dosages are much higher. And so they do have like a work, like a, a sheet that I normally just refer people to that talk about the dosages because they are much higher. So if you give Zoloft for a child with anxiety, it would be a much, much higher dose than what you would do for anxiety or Paxil. You know, any of those SSRIs are like the first line approach typically. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff. 
but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Let's pivot then to talk about anxiety, which, you know, again, this is just something I'm hearing more now than ever. And of course, the general surgeon in the US just released this big report on the mental health of children and adolescents right now and what's going on. Gosh, where do we even start with this? Can Let's just talk about anxiety and the way that, that it shows up, because I think in kids, it's not always what we would expect, right? It may not manifest the way it would in an anxious adult. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think, I think anxiety is higher because obviously what's going on, but also I think we're home more and we're, we're noticing things more. They're not in school more. I think there's a lot of elements of as far as why children's mental health is on the radar more, more than the obvious stuff. I think, I think there's other elements, but yeah, it can show up as difficult behavior, opposition, irritability, rigidity. Um, a lot of times like refusal, digging their heels in. And so I think we, we often think of the child who's like, you know, in a fetal position, having a hard time breathing when we think of anxiety and more often than not, I think it is, it can be an angry kid. I know like my, for my, I have one that does the whole typical stuff. So I can really tell when she's anxious, but for my son, it's, he's going to act out. He might get hyperactive. A lot of times I will think he has like, when he was little, I thought, you know, he might have ADHD because he's like jumping on the pillows and he's acting out and he's kind of bouncing, literally bouncing off the walls. And it's when he was anxious. So not every kid is going to look, you know, that classic anxious style Yeah, this is something I wrote about in my book, Differently Wired, that when my child, who does have ADHD, was maybe eight or nine, the therapist we were working with pulled me aside one day and was like, started talking about the anxiety. And I said, what? Asher has anxiety? I had no clue. It was not, I have a, my older sister has anxiety that's just been a part of her life. And so I I have this picture in my mind of what it looks like. And For me, it was, I did have an explosive kiddo. I had the intensity, all of those pieces. And when this therapist mentioned the word anxiety, it kind of all came together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've missed this for years. I had no idea that that was what was going on. Because it really doesn't look like anxiety. Yeah, I can totally get that because that's how my son is too. It doesn't, it doesn't look like anxiety. And a lot of times it'll be labeled a lot of other things before anxiety. And it's not warm, fuzzy, you know, it's not, it doesn't evoke a warm, fuzzy feeling to come in and swoop them up and, you know, it makes you kind of want to discipline it out of them, which actually increases the anxiety. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I've gotten questions specifically around gifted kids and anxiety. A lot of the listeners of the show have gifted or twice exceptional kids. I imagine in your practice, you come across these kiddos. Can you talk a little bit about those kids? Because they're Often they've got these more existential things going on, especially again with what's happening in the world is a trigger for so many kind of darker thoughts. Can you talk about that? You know, I think there is a a higher level of intuitive, intelligent, empathic kids, you know, with anxiety. And, and so I did see a disproportionate amount of kids that I just think were gifted, or even if they weren't labeled gifted, were just off the charts and had big, deep philosophical questions and I, I feel like that is, you know, not all anxious kids are like that, but I feel like there's this, you know, there is a profile that comes with a lot of anxious kids and it's the chicken or the egg thing, you know, which causes which, you know, I think 
at that, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just, what do you do with that? And I feel like if we can shape that as a superpower and clearly identify that for their kid, for our kids, that can actually be helpful to let them know that, you know, they see out of the box, they're out of the box thinkers, they have deep questions and we just want to control or help them learn how to control those snowball thoughts so that they, you know, they can have those deep thoughts and they can go in a positive direction. And so like my, I'll give you an example, like my 10 year old is, you know, one of those kids and she likes to ponder like the meaning of the world and like, why are we here? And, but sometimes if I'm walking at night with her and she looks at the moon, it actually causes panic and she'll start to think like, we're too small, we're insignificant and she's 10, you know? So this is one of those like deep, and that's not the time for me to go into it with her because I can tell she's in an anxiety spiral. She's not in like a true, I wonder if kind of mode. So sometimes as parents too, it's reading when our kids are in a true moment of pondering and when they're in an anxiety tornado and helping them see it. You know, my kids will say, you know, I have a superpower, you know, I'm really empathetic. I can tell when that kid in the corner over there is having a hard time when nobody else notices, or um, I can think of interesting things and, and helping them ident- like own that as part of who they are besides anxiety. Also, I think there are kids who can kind of push through who can have anxiety, but it doesn't stop their lives. And then there are people for whom anxiety is completely debilitating. And again, among my audience of parents raising neurodivergent kids, it's often comorbid with other things going on. And so that dance that we are constantly playing is how much to push, how much to take the pressure off. And I imagine that dances regardless of how your child is wired. But can you talk a little bit about how you help parents kind of intuitively navigate that dance? Yeah, it's an important dance because it's it's sometimes counterintuitive of what we want to do with them. And it can kind of make or break their long-term success. And so it's understanding that helping our kids face their fears one small step at a time. This is kind of what Ellie Leibowitz does in his work is letting them know verbally and non-verbally that we believe in them, that we believe that they can handle the discomfort that will, that will bring. And it's also being able to read your child really well. So, you know, paying attention to those verbal and non-verbal cues and not protecting your child from a trigger before it even happens because we want them to live in a bubble. And it's, it's, it's uncomfortable parenting. I think raising three of them where sometimes I have to be like, you know, let's go right instead of left. And then I'm like, nope, let's go left because, you know, I know there's bees to the right, but they're going to have to um, learn how to cope with that. And also knowing when you can tell your child is far gone. <laughs> you know, um, and I think anyone who's raising an anxious kid probably knows what those look like, or you can just conjure that up in your head. And um, we don't want to push them to that point. And so it's this balancing act of always pushing them where they're uncomfortable, but also not to the point where they lose it. And that's hard. That's a hard balance. And it probably changes depending on the child's mood that day, right? Part of it is like really being tuned in to understanding how our kids are expressing their emotions or what they're feeling, even if they're not telling us. But then, yeah, it can change from day to day, situation to situation. Right. And generalize it. Yeah. So it's going to be an in the moment thing. I imagine that's kind of the bigger tool is as a parent anyway, is walking that path with our kids and navigating that dance that you just described 
And I imagine there's also a therapeutic component to this because different from OCD, this is stuff that we can work on in our thinking, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like what are other ways that you work with families who are dealing with anxiety in their kids or do you work directly with kids as well? I don't work in my practice anymore. My husband passed away in February. And so I closed my practice and now I just focus solely online. In the past, you know, I would work with the parents and the kids, kind of a team effort, depending on the family's dynamic, what that would look like. And now online, I'm working primarily with the parents. I mean, I have a YouTube channel that's supposed to be for kids and teens, but it is different than OCD in the sense that for both anxiety and OCD, we are getting them to do exposures, whatever that looks like. So it's those small steps towards discomfort. And I say discomfort instead of fear, because for OCD, it's not always fear. Sometimes it's just discomfort, but we're getting them to make those small steps. But with anxiety, like you said, there is that CBT element, that cognitive behavioral element of, can I reframe my thoughts? And I love that because that's an extra tool that we don't have with OCD. And so that I always talk about red thoughts and green thoughts, just so there's visual, you know, so a green thought, a red thought might be, if I have social anxiety, you know, the shirt looks stupid and everyone's going to laugh at me. And a green thought would be, well, I really like this shirt. And if people laugh at me, then they're not my friend and I don't care about them anyway. And so it's, it's kind of negating that red thought and reframing it. And sometimes anxiety will make something catastrophic when it's not that big. And so reframing and teaching, you can teach very young kids how to reframe their thoughts. And that is powerful because those thoughts fuel our physiological responses. They're like, they're creating that panic in your body. And so besides doing all the things that people talk about with anxiety, like take a deep breath, you know, and ground yourself. If the fuel line is still there, then you're going to have to be doing that for a very long time because you haven't shut down the fuel line, which to me are the thoughts. Oh, I love that metaphor. I, in my 20s, went to, as a client to the Albert Ellis Institute here in New York for rational motive behavioral therapy. And that was the first time I learned like, oh, thoughts control the way that we feel like, and we can change those thoughts. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is a superpower. And it is. it's fascinating what that reframe can do. I'm wondering for the parents that you work with, how do you support them in kind of staying steady the course, because having an anxious child can be really challenging, right? It can be, it can trigger our own fears about what's going to happen. It can take a lot longer, I imagine, than we would hope for them to make progress. And so we find ourselves saying the same things over and over again. So how do you help parents help themselves as they navigate this? That's a big part of what I do, because I feel like that that's all we can control is what we do. And a lot of times, there's a couple of things that we do as parents. One, we see the big picture instead of the small picture and that will overwhelm us. So it is going back to our perception that if I, you know, I'm seeing my six-year-old who can't go to school and now I, I can see her not going to graduate school, you know, because she can't get her shoes on, that's going to create a lot of panic. So a lot of it is working with our own triggers, our own stuff, you know, cause that comes into our parenting and, um, being in the now, I talk a lot about just being in this moment. I'm in this today. I'm in tomorrow. Um, today, I'm I'm teaching her how to sleep on her own, or today, I'm teaching her how to, you know, whatever her fear is, you know, and and having only one goal because I think sometimes we're looking at the end goal, and because we have to take such tiny, tiny steps to get there, a lot of times that can be discouraging, and our kids can sense that and feel that when we feel discouraged. And then the other part is. Um, taking care of ourselves. I think self-compassion is a huge part of parenting and 
parents can get stuck on the why. I see this a lot. You know, why is my child like this? What did I do that created this? And um, I think unhooking the why and just being like, it is what it is. You know, anxiety and OCD are highly genetic and they're often is really no why at all. It's just, what do I do with this? And so there's so much parental work that can be done to to help them have a more fulfilled life, to enjoy them, those moments and to feel, I think, self-love as they're going through it. So you said this is the majority of the work that you do now. I know that you have a membership community. Can you tell listeners more about the work that is available to them as a resource? Yeah, I have a podcast, AT Parenting Survival Podcast, and um, that's for parents. And then I have a YouTube channel um, that I make YouTube videos. It's for kids and teens. I keep saying it's for kids and teens, but adults tend to watch that channel too. But I'm speaking directly to the person with anxiety and OCD. And I have online courses for people who want supplements with their therapist. And I have a lot of therapists who will like refer people to take my courses, or they just can't get access to help and they want to learn their own tools because regardless of whether we want to do it or not, we're with our kids 24 seven. And so we're going to have to have a therapeutic home environment that kind of fosters our kids growth. And can you talk about your membership community as well? I'd love to share that, that link with listeners as well. Yeah. People wanted to work more in depth with me and one-on-one coaching is not an option. It's like too draining. (laughs) You know, it's like, so in the AT parenting community, um, we do weekly live classes. I have a member website that they log into and they have like a huge library of videos and worksheets and we get together on zoom once a month and then they wanted a support group for their kids. And so we have a kid one and we have a teen one. We have like a buddy program where we connect kids. So it's really grown and evolved. And so it's a just a beautiful, loving community of parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD of all ages. That's so good. What a great resource too, I think, to help kids connect with each other because it can be really lonely to, to feel that way and to feel like I'm the only one who's going through this and that. So that's a huge service. So um, listeners, I will include links to all of these resources in the show notes page so you can go check them out. You've done a lot of podcast episodes, great topics. And yeah, you have a, a lot of resources that I, I know our listeners will be into. So before we say goodbye, we've talked about so many different things. Is there anything that we didn't cover or one last thought or nugget that you would like to share with my listeners? Oh, you know, I think knowledge is just the key. And I always say that to parents. I think the more we know, the better we do. And so just learning about how anxiety and OCD can show up and don't get tunnel vision and say, this is, I only want to know about this one thing because this is what my child has. I think with anxiety and OCD, you want to learn all the different ways it can show up so that you can pull those early weeds out. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for just sharing all of this today and following my meandering brain as uh, we've discussed all these topics. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to dig deeper into this episode, check out the show notes page. Every episode has a dedicated show notes page on my website where you can get links to all the resources we discussed, read a transcript, and even easily go back and listen to key takeaways by using the chapters feature on the podcast player. To get to the show notes page for this episode, just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this show. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform for this show, my wonderful new editor and producer, Andrea, and more. 
It's so easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. If you're into social media, you can follow Tilt Parenting at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter. Visit the Tilt Parenting page on Facebook or join my Facebook community called Tilt Together. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.